serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Shock flew up. Oh, he's toying with him now. Hey, Caitlin, how you doing? Chris, how are you? Good, good. We have a guest this week. We do have a guest. Her name is Taffy Brodesser-Ackner. And, <laughs> and she wrote a piece about getting into tennis uh, later, not late, but later in life. I think it probably strikes a chord with people who kind of had a complicated relationship with tennis when they were younger, feeling like they were on the outside of this thing that is a very insidery sport. Yeah, one of my favorite themes that you and I talk about a lot on this podcast is the idea of like you know, access and the tennis lifestyle and like the idea that you could be wearing tennis whites all the time and just, you know, going around and doing your groceries. There's, there's certainly like class and socioeconomic implications of that, right? Like that it connotes a certain level of leisure lifestyle that neither of us with, you know, children and full-time jobs, you know, have, have, uh, access to at present, but we, we can dream and dip our toes into it. Um, and you know, that's something that Taffy really explored in a way that kind of only she can. She's such a fantastic writer. She does a lot of, um, celebrity profiles and personal essays. And so when we were starting racket, I really wanted to get her to do something that was really self-reflective. And she was actually the first writer I reached out to. Yeah. Yeah. And she is, um, she is like one of the big profile writers out there. And she recently did a piece about Tom Hiddleston. You hear about that right at the top of the interview. Um, and it just seems like that is like a particular niche in journalism, like the profile writer where you're like just dropped into some incredibly famous person's life for two days and you you have to kind of have a take on them. And after we talked to Taffy, I just thought, yep, yeah, she's the perfect person for this because she's so personable. And like, I, I can imagine kind of um, uh, her sort of like feeling like you knew her in two days. She's magic. Taffy's magic. Yeah. Yeah. She's a, uh, she's a delight. I'm home, uh, uh, taking care of a three-year-old and a four week old. And, uh, I felt more awake after talking with her, um, which is something <laughs> I'm super duper grateful for. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, enjoy. So today on the podcast, we have the delightful Taffy Brodesser Ackner, um, who is now the nation's premier profile writer the celebrity profile is your bread and butter is that true is that a fair statement i i don't not i mean i would never assume the first part but yes the profile is my bread and butter it, it, it mostly has been i started out with personal essays and then sort of just transferred essay skills to writing about people and most of what i do now is profile writing and i love profile writing and we're also catching you at an incredible time because you have just this week had a profile come out in GQ, which is a frequent publishing partner of yours, um, about Tom Hiddleston. Uh, and please, please enlighten. I was trying to tell Chris before you joined us just how um, how hilariously misconstrued some of your interview was with Tom. Um, well, are you talking about the tabloid photos? <laughs> I am. I the, am. Yeah, I was photographed. In fact, I'm I'm always a little sad that this doesn't happen more often and I'll tell you why but I was photographed saying goodbye to him at the end of our second day together and at the end of our second day we it was we had these two wonderful long walks together we he he made bolognese we sat around we we just had a wonderful time it was really like I, I, I really liked him. He really liked me. We were saying goodbye. And a photographer from the Daily Mail caught us. And there, 
And like a week later, there were like 20 pictures of me and him saying goodbye to each other um, um, on, on a street in London and also laughing. And also we hugged goodbye. And also um, I was laughing a lot because he was doing an impression of, he was doing an impression for me. And when the, when the, the reason I was so happy about it was because I'm always afraid that if that happens, people will think like, oh, I'm, Tom Hiddleston was with what what is clearly his aunt or what is clearly his um, <laughs> what is clearly his neighbor that he's helping across the street or something. Um, even though I'm only I'm only a few years older than he is, but I I feel I'm no longer a contender for the um, for the uh, the really questionable tabloid photograph, and it was very nice um, to be referred to as a mystery brunette. Um, but the best part of it was that um, the way it just went around, and it went around during inauguration week, which was a horrible, horrible week. But it went around, and all of the the Hiddlestoners, which is what the uh, Tom Hiddleston fan club calls calls itself, um, and all of the kind of New York media who know me, it, it was just delightful. And then the New York Post called. Um, oh my god to ask for a comment. And I, I, I gave my comment was something like, um, like, uh, my family, my family requests privacy during this ridiculous time or something like that, or hilarious time. Um, and her follow up question was, that's a great comment, but are you dating or are you just friends? And I felt like I still got it. I still got it. <laughs> uh, he sounds like, uh, was he like the most charming person you've ever, uh, profiled? Because, I mean, making dinner for you. He, was, yeah. he, he made it for himself, and the next day he still had some, and he warmed it up for me because he needed me to try it because it was so good. Um, and it, it was it was delicious, and he was charming and considerate and gentle and kind. I mean, I have to tell you, he he is just a great man, like a great piece of man. <laughs> Wish they were all like that. <laughs> I wish they were all like that. Don't we all? Wow. I mean, yeah. as a confirmed lesbian, I feel like I'd like to live in a world of Tom Hiddleston's. I know. I mean, for for a, for a not lesbian, I'd like to live in a world full of Tom Hiddleston. Sure. Chris, I think we can probably include sure. you in that. Sure. Yes. He sounds great. <laughs> I just watched The Night Manager. He's great, The Night Manager. <laughs> Be the Tom Hiddleston you wish to see in the world. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> If nothing else, I hope <laughs> listeners take that away from this interview. Right. He is not the hero we deserve, but he's the hero we want. Totally. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So taking this to a ton of strong, I have to tell you, when we were starting Racket Magazine, my basically my burning desire in the world, having been a fan of your writing for a long, long time, was to see if we could finagle somehow getting you to write something for us. Because as you know, you know personal essays is, is, is how you really got started and made your name, um, you know, and I have been a giant fan since I read that wonderful piece you did with Britney Spears um, for Medium a couple of years ago, where you sort of looked at her very glitzy, but ultimately very hollow and bleak sort of existence, <laughs> you know, in Las Vegas. And yeah. I was like, ah, I wonder if Taffy is at all into tennis, I should ask. And so I was delighted to find out that you were. Can you talk to us a little bit about how, how you first got into it? You first picked up a racket? Because ultimately, obviously, this became the subject of, of your wonderful piece for the first issue. Right. So how did it start? Thank you so much. What a nice introduction. Um, it's funny, you contacted me just at a time when tennis was uh, at a peak, what I can now say was the peak of tennis in my life. Um, 
I had always lived in places where tennis was too expensive. And I went to a prep school where tennis was, everyone did tennis and everyone went to tennis camp, but, but we couldn't afford to. Um, and tennis became to, to me like a symbol of a symbol of the thing that you should aspire to the thing that you, that, that you can't have the thing that I couldn't have. And so I became very resentful of tennis and I would, um, I, I didn't like to watch it and I didn't like to engage in discussion of it. And even in college, when I could have played it, I didn't want to because I knew that I wouldn't be able to continue playing it. And what's the point? I'm very practical like that. But then after a bunch of years, I lived in, I lived in New York and then I lived in Los Angeles. Um, and in Los Angeles, my husband and I took tennis lessons briefly where we learned that we are not people who should play sports against each other. I don't know if I included, I don't think I included that in the story. But um, my husband. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. It, we took lessons. We took about five lessons. This this young lady from UF from USC. I almost said UFC. USC um, with legs that I can still describe in detail, like these thoroughbred, amazing legs um, of tennis. And <laughs> she and my husband and I were newlyweds, and she had to sort of withstand this weird bickering we had around tennis which is like I would say to my husband like can you retrieve the ball faster we're on a clock here and he was like this is so un unenjoyable when you say that and we stopped playing <laughs> tennis and, but we we can we we have a good marriage so so don't worry um but then I moved to New Jersey and tennis here is everywhere like there are tennis courts on every um, every playground, there are clubs everywhere and it's still expensive, but I'm suddenly in a position where I can afford it. And also my kids go to a school where the mothers walk around like Wes Anderson characters in, in <laughs> tennis outfits, like as if that's all, like they are there every day in a different tennis outfit. And, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to try it. And I went to the fancy club in Chatham and I started taking lessons and I started taking lessons and I loved it immediately. And I didn't know, like I had all of these feelings about like, why had I denied this to myself for so long? And the answer is a good one because I couldn't afford it because, because I don't ever like to be in a position where I'm made to want something I can't have. I don't like to window shop. Um, I don't. I don't like to wish. <laughs> I don't like to, I don't, I, I, I never, even as a child, I did not sit next to my mother while she watched Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, if you remember that show. I sure do. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Caviar dreams. Yeah. I didn't want to watch Dynasty. <laughs> and I was kind of born to watch Dynasty, so. You got your start at Soap Opera Digest. At Soap Opera Magazine. magazine. This like, is your wheelhouse. I was the only one who had no Dynasty memories. Like, people would casually, like, at a meeting, if you were aggressive at my Soap Opera Magazine in a meeting, they would say things like, way to push me into the fountain, Crystal, or <gasps> things like that. Right, right. It was... Being at a soap opera magazine was very much like being inside a soap opera, in a in a weird with in a weird way. Except people weren't as as good looking. I have to just pause for a second and say anybody who is listening to this who has not heard your long form interview where you talk about in depth your soap opera 
magazine experience, um, do yourself a favor and check it out because it's profoundly funny and just as great <laughs> as you'd think it would be, basically, to your point, um, to work there um, uh, and the drama that goes on. I think for me, the, the, my favorite part of your piece is, is, first of all, you call out this very specific piece of tennis clothing that you become attached to, which I think, you know, fashion is a huge segment of what Chris and I talk about and have uh-huh. talked about for years because it really does it permeates the entire sport, especially no, no less. So when you're wearing something that you feel great about on the court, what, what was the item that sort of like got you like so excited to, to own this identity as this Wes Anderson character it um, was, in New Jersey? It was a black and white tennis skirt, which was it Adidas? I can't remember what the brand was, but it was, it was head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was head. And I was very, this is what I did. I I bought a racket. I bought a bag for my racket and I bought two identical tennis skirts. And on, on Wednesdays, which was the day I had my lesson, I would, in the morning, I would put on, I would put on leggings and be, because I started in the winter and then over it, I would put on my tennis skirt. And by the way, it, I did not immediately do this. I did it in the run up. Like I did it. Let me think. Let me think. Um, the first, the lessons were divided into six-week courses, and the and when I was an ultra beginner, meaning it was me and the ladies of Chatham who had, who, who hadn't picked up a racket in a while, and that was ultra beginner. I think I was the only person without at least some experience, and they all wore tennis skirts, and I thought that was very presumptuous of them, right? It was like, <laughs> yeah. very like. How could, like, you have not earned this skirt yet. And after six weeks, and I and I felt like I was one of the best ones in the class. I will put an asterisk to that and at the bottom of the page say to you, I, could, it, I have to leave room for the possibility that I was wrong. Because much, much later, I went back and I was owed a makeup lesson. Um, oh, no, no, I went back and I was going to advance to... Um, the round robin and after the first round robin they said that I needed private lessons in order to (laughs) the round robin and I couldn't imagine what they were I was like I thought I thought that I was keeping up I really I really did like I didn't think I was a detriment to anyone else's playing which is what they were saying in that like you cannot continue here until you have like six lessons on your own um so I do leave room for the fact that I was bad at tennis, but to think that like that negates anything in the essay where I discover I'm good at tennis is to miss the point. The point was is that I felt alive and dominant doing this thing where I would swing a racket and hit this ball, um, and I loved it. But back to the skirt. At this at the second session, I bought the skirt and I walked in and one of the women who had noticed that I'd never worn a skirt because when she asked, I said, I'm not ready for a skirt yet, um, which she could not understand even what was going on with me. Um, and she owned a horse. So I felt that we were different <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, she, I, I wore it and she said, look at you in the skirt. And she hit me in my butt with her racket. And I felt this like amazing sorority and I felt maybe I finally do belong here. Um, and every Wednesday I wore that skirt and I'd wear it to meetings I had. I wore it to an interview. I'm sorry, I have a tennis lesson later. I hope this is okay. Oh, amazing. But really I was so I was like bragging, like, just so you know, I'm a tennis player. 
look at my skirt. That resonated with me so much because to me, the dream scenario in my life is to get to a place where I can just be in tennis gear at all times, which telegraphs all of these things that you're talking about, that literally tennis could happen at any moment. And you're ready. And by the way, this is just part of your part of your, your daily life. That's what I loved about your party. Do you remember at the party, like my my family and I walked in and you weren't there, but Dave was there. And I said, where's Caitlin? He said, oh, she's playing tennis. And I said, "You're pl- she's playing tennis at her launch party? And I realized that, like, that's the difference between tennis and anything else. Like, you play, like, you're there to play tennis. And I said, Dave, do you want to go play tennis? I'll, I'll greet your guests if you want me to, pl- if you want to go play tennis. And he took me up. It was kind of a polite offer. And he took me up on it very, very quickly. Oh, I remember thinking this is the best possible thing that could have happened. <laughs> and, I was, and I was greeting your guest. Hello, I'm Taffy. Taffy, the star of the first issue, by the way, also our <laughs> greeter, see. while the founders go play tennis. It was brilliant. I mean, it was one of the greatest days of my life for every reason, it including was, your I, giant role. So thank you for the offer. My pleasure, my pleasure. But it was really, it was a, an astounding thing that tennis is a thing that you can not be in, in approximation to without being like almost lusty with want. Yes. David himself describes to me his ideal situation, which is less based on clothes, but more based on soundtrack. And he describes to me the feeling that he wants to have of waking up with a coffee and orange juice and the sound of gently thwacked tennis balls lofting through the air. And it's so lusty, that description. And I feel it, too, because the conditions that have to exist for that to to be true are so holistic, right? It has to be nice outside. You assume there's a breeze. You assume that, like, there's enough of a leisure vibe going on that people have access to this thing. That your stomach can tolerate that kind of I mean, there's a lot. There's right. a lot. I didn't mention any carbs exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, you're really getting to something that, you know, are, are persistent themes that we're always interested in, in doing this, this magazine project, which is like access, elitism, you know, um, lust, feeling. And so, you know, I just want to bring it home with the idea that like this piece, like all good pieces has a denouement. It has a, it has a, um, and you know, when, when we started the conversation, you were talking about how this was the peak of your tennis, um, you know, and so what happened? What happened to me in tennis was this, was in April, I twisted my ankle, the ankle that always gets twisted. And I went to an orthopedist and he gave, he told me to go to physical therapy. And I went for a month and I was deemed okay. And the day I went back to tennis, I twisted the knee. Uh, I sprained the knee on that same leg. And I went back to physical therapy. This time I had to go three times a week for three months to get it to get it back. And during that time was this tremendous like mourning period of like maybe I will always hurt myself doing this. Maybe I will like I have like that that was that was the thing that made me so angry was that there are a lot of things I haven't done in my life because I couldn't afford to do them or because they seemed like the province of the wealthy. And if you can believe it, and I don't know if you can, because we're different this way. Um, Daily exercise was one of those things. Daily exercise was for people who had nannies and people who had money and people who didn't have to write as much as I had to write to make a living. And I see, and, and I saw the way other people were able to fit in sort of caring for their own bodies in a way that I wasn't. And the thing that struck me Every, every regretful morning I woke up and went to that physical therapy place was that like, 
if if I had just taken what I could have gotten in tennis, if I had just allowed myself the first time at that prep school, they put a tennis racket in my hand and said, okay, this is our tennis rotation. Like if I had allowed myself to enjoy it and be on the tennis team, even if I wasn't someone who could go to the camp, even if I was, even if I wasn't someone who could, who could do it my whole life, it makes, it made, it made me wonder if my legs wouldn't have been in better shape. Like a lot of people think they would have been in worse shape, but no, like not having your, the muscles in your legs built up enough in order to sustain a tennis lesson, not even like a, a big game is, is, is sad to me. Like, I feel like I had lived in this kind of black and white universe and I should have taken the gray. I should have always owned a tennis skirt. I should have, you know, I should have taken what I could have gotten. Um, and I mean, I also think that maybe, I mean, who knows? I'm flat footed. Maybe my I wasn't built for it. Um, but I, I also hear people saying that it's a game for life. And I think how I'm like, I'm 41. <laughs> Why? My life is, is supposed to only be about half over. Why is it like, why can't I do it? Why can't I do it? Um, and I also see, but I also see like the, the better you get, the more you're going sideways on the court and the more your legs are expected to um, enact these very intricate movements. And I, I feel like I'll always worry about this being my, my last game. And that kind of also came to the head. I think I described it in the, in the essay that I had gotten before I hurt myself that time, I had gotten two lessons or one lesson into the next six week session. And when it was clear that I couldn't do it, I very um, sadly had to ask for a refund and they didn't give me a refund. And it just made me all the, all the angrier that like that because they're not used to people, people yeah, this doesn't happen in this world money. Like they, they didn't understand like, and I resented the guy who worked there who didn't understand. Cause Hey, like, Hey dude, you're one of me. Like you and I are not them. Right. You should understand that I need this money back if I'm not going to use it. And they said, sorry, our bursar made this decision. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was very upsetting to me. And I, and I got very, very angry about it. But let me just end on this by, by giving you an open invitation by saying, in my fantasy, my friends and family and extended universe is all padding around in tennis skirts, um, you know, greeting people at parties, enjoying softly thwacked balls. And I actually think, regardless of, you know, the intricate knee movements that you can perform now or ever, like there, there might be a place for you on the 70 and over circuit. Um, God knows I've met some very immobile 70 year olds who are having a blast. So, you know, it, it could still <laughs> you have happen. have to wait 30 years to try. <laughs> Just in 30 more years. <laughs> I'll be counting the days. <laughs> exactly right. Okay, Taffy, this has been absolutely wonderful as I knew it would be. Thank you very much for making the time. I hope I hope we can entice you to, to write again for the magazine. And if and nothing else, you're invited to for every party that we have from now until eternity. Anytime and anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks, Taffy. Okay, so that was Taffy Britosser Ackner. Um, her writing is all over the internet. You can look it up at GQ. She's done some stuff for ESPN. But to read Taffy's article for Racket, you have to pick up issue one, uh, which you should at racketmag.com. So, Chris, we'll be back in a week or so talking about tennis in the Middle East. Sound good? Sounds great. See you then. Bye. <laughs>